Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates Interview Series. I'm Paul Vogelzang. And as a part of our Art of Living and Science Awareness programs with Smithsonian Associates, we are joined by returning guest, Dr. Alan Pietrobon. Dr. Alan Pietrobon will be appearing via Zoom at Smithsonian Associates Wednesday, March 30th. But we have Dr. Pietrobon today. And our subject of conversation and the title of Dr. Pietrobon's upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation is A History of Pandemics. Yep, this is timely, relevant. This is going to be a great interview. There will be more information on our website about the Smithsonian Associates presentation, but stay tuned for a very informative interview. You know, the saying goes that history repeats itself. True to form, epidemics have been a near-constant feature in human life. Up until the 1960s, recurring epidemics were simply a normal fact of daily life, always lurking in the background. Joining us today is award-winning historian Alan Pietrobon, an assistant professor of global affairs at Trinity Washington University. We will be talking to Dr. Pietrobon about some of the lesser-known pandemics and epidemics, revealing how people throughout history dealt with such sudden disease outbreaks. We'll learn from Dr. Pietrobon where these epidemics and pandemics originated. Whom did they most affect? What was learned in how to treat or prevent them? And How did societies evolve in the wake of deadly pandemics? Dr. Pietrobon will explore with us the cholera epidemics that ravaged 19th century New York City and the terrifying polio epidemic that first struck America in the 1840s and killed thousands during each generational recurrence. Please join me and Dr. Alan Pietrobon to discover how pandemics indiscriminately affected lives, killing presidents and paupers alike, and we will learn about the medical and technological advancements that have helped people to continue living post-pandemic. Dr. Alan Pietrobon, welcome back to the program. Good to talk to you and always great to have you rejoin us here on the program. Yes, thank you very much. I'm always excited to to have a great chat with you as well. (laughs) Yeah, well, clearly the audience responds um, excitedly, wonderfully to to our interviews that we've done in the past. Uh, we've talked about uh, the Kennedy-Nixon debates. This is a timely conversation. You, you've got an upcoming presentation about the history of epidemics, talking about pandemics. Um, history repeats itself often. But let's start really right at the start and maybe Tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. Yeah, absolutely. And it is this case of history repeats itself. I'll give a bit of an anecdote before I I go over the talk, which is uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I have a colleague who works for a foreign government and she was sort of ordered to go out and read all the books she could about, you know, pandemics and history because they needed to formulate a policy of what they were going to do. And she commented to me that, like, I, you know, I knew a little bit about the Spanish flu, but I, I wish we even taught this in school <laughs> because uh, human experience with, with disease and epidemics and pandemics is universal. And I thought, well, then I'll put a talk together about this because it's something I'm interested in, too. So uh, in that vein, we, in this particular talk, we're going to take a sweeping view of the uh, global history of epidemics, pandemics, disease outbreaks, uh, both looking at the U.S. and Europe. Um, Essentially, 
what happened, how societies have dealt with uh, outbreaks of disease, uh, how it changed society, and hopefully, you know, on the, on the hopeful side, what we learned uh, from these moments in history. So that's what we're going to look at in this presentation. It's going to be a good one. I know all your presentations are wonderful. I think this one is just so timely. And you do refer to some of these pandemics and epidemics throughout history. Certainly, epidemics have swept the globe. We've had the 1918 flu epidemic. You talk about the Spanish flu, cholera. You know, some of these epidemics have killed as many as 100 million people. Um, There are lesser known pandemics. And I wonder if you'd tell us about some of those, the lesser known ones, and, and maybe how people throughout history have dealt with some of these sudden disease outbreaks. Absolutely. Um, there have been many, <laughs> is, is the, the grand scope of things that, you know, basically before really the 1950s, it, these sorts of things were quite common. You know, every generation would have an experience with an outbreak of, of, uh, of disease. Um, and so looking back, one of the things we're not going to talk all that much about in this talk is the 1918 flu, mainly because it is the big one. If you've learned about anything, that's probably the one. So instead, I wanted to focus on um, other instances that had a huge impact um, and where we learned something and it changed our approach to disease going forward. So we'll go back and we're going to look at the Black Plague that swept Europe in the 1300s. Um, what we learned from that. Uh, we'll look at the, the cholera outbreaks, which were you know, so common that they can't even point to one specific outbreak, although there is a moment in the 1850s when we start to learn um, that it's important to keep water clean, that we find that this is the vector for the disease, dirty water. Um, so we'll look at how cholera impacted public health and, and how we, we created you know, public water systems because of that. Um, we'll look briefly at, at outbreaks of smallpox. Uh, we'll focus on polio as well, which was a terrifying disease that swept across the U.S. almost every summer starting in the early 1800s until it was eradicated in the 1950s with vaccines. And so that, too, will be an angle of look how vaccines have uh, um, created Basically, between 1890 and 1960, there was a 20-year jump in uh, average life expectancy in the U.S., almost uh, entirely attributable to the fact that we can now eradicate diseases through vaccination that used to kill scores of people. Have we been able to apply some of this learning to our most recent, you know, the pandemic, COVID and so forth? You know, we we look back at, at, at cholera and Certainly there were warnings about, you know, eating and drinking and abstaining from cold water and raw vegetables. How did societies kind of evolve at this point in the wake of these deadly pandemics, which which aren't laughing matter at all? But I, I think that, you know, sometimes maybe we we aren't learning what we should, but but tell us. Right, yeah. It's unfortunate. On the one hand, we can kind of chuckle because some of the advice is, patently ridiculous based on our, our current understanding. And in some cases, you know, they weren't, basically, they weren't wrong. They just didn't quite understand enough. So, you know, one of the things that came out of the Black Plague uh, was this idea of that, basically, again, it's going to sound funny, but like that bad smells is what makes you sick. That if you smell something bad, that's how you get infected. Um, and, you know, of course not, but they weren't 
fully off in that, yes, there are airborne things that can infect you. Um, so they, you know, they're one of their uh, um, solutions was to have these masks, you know, kind of like today, they would stuff full of herbs and spices um, to, to mask the smell that if you could just smell something nice, uh, keep the bad smell out, you would be fine. And so uh, people would walk around with little bouquets of flowers. And if they smelled something bad, they'd hold the flower up to their nose to cover up the bad smell. Um, so that's, you know, it's, it's, we're getting there. Um, but it's mainly the, the, the things, the solutions that worked are really both quite primitive and what we use today. They had figured out that quarantining worked, um, that if you can keep yourself separate from uh, infected people, that worked. Now, they went so far as to nail the front door shut of your house um, if you were infected so you couldn't get out. Um, but even during the, the flu uh, pandemic of 1918, they would publish names uh, in the newspaper and addresses of people who, who uh, um, came down with the flu so that you would know to stay away from their house. Um, sometimes they'd put in during polio, they would put you know, signs up on your front door. This house is infected. Stay clear. Um, so it is, you know, quarantine they had figured out worked. Um, and for people of means, just leaving the city, going out to the countryside, um, you know, fleeing was also an effective solution. So there are some things we still uh, rely on today. Yeah, certainly. You know, this idea of social distancing makes sense. The idea and we we saw an awful lot of people fleeing and getting, you know, great distances from one another. There was a big surge in um, travel to national parks, hoping that we would be kind of apart from one another. And I think that that has helped. I think one of the things that we seemed to be a little focused on too during this most recent outbe- outbreak was the, I'm talking about COVID now was the location of the outbreak. Is there one location on the planet where these outbreaks come from? Have we learned that? Uh, it's complicated. I guess the answer is not really, you know, the, the outbreaks come sort of from everywhere all the time. You know, it's the irony that we, typically refer to the 1918 pandemic as the Spanish flu, although most evidence now points to it actually originated in the United States, perhaps uh, a military base in Kansas of all places. Um, you know, we do have a, a number of, of outbreaks starting uh, in Asia, which is um, largely just a, a population density issue that when you get more humans packed together, you know, in places like China or Hong Kong, there's more propensity for this sort of thing to break out there. But there is no one, you know, hot spot that we can point to all of these diseases originating. There's some that come from the Middle East, you know, the Black Plague sweeps across Europe. Um, you know, polio was endemic in the U.S. for, for centuries um, before it was eradicated. So in that sense, it's sort of this is a human story rather than just a geographic or a you know, national one. We are with Dr. Alan Pietrobon. Dr. Pietrobon will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates coming up here Wednesday, March 30th. The title of his presentation is A History of Epidemics. We're talking epidemics, pandemics today. And Dr. Pietrobon, you, you mentioned this idea of kind of these flu epidemic pandemics being worldwide in scope, not necessarily having a, a specific location. I wonder, is there a specific 
type of person or who, who's affected most by these? It seems to be pretty indiscriminate in that in that all manner of society uh, can can kept these certainly can come down with these particular conditions. But I wonder, as you've looked at your research, has there been one population or another that has been so adversely affected and impacted by the the pandemics and epidemics over time? There has. Um, Now, going back in time, you're right. It is sort of indiscriminate. You know, rich, poor, doesn't really matter. Um, No one is immune, as it were, to things like the Black Plague. But You know, across time and even today with COVID, unfortunately, what we see is that it's the least privileged uh, in societies that have the it has the biggest impact on. Um, We saw in the 1880s, for example, in New York with uh, cholera and other diseases that um, immigrant populations, typically coming from poorer parts of the world, uh, are heavily impacted. So. Immigrants um, in certain neighborhoods of New York make up only about 10% of the population, but suffer 71% of the deaths um, during the cholera outbreak of the 1880s, which is astonishing. Um, But we sort of see that reflected today with COVID. I know at least in the the D.C. area where I'm based, um, it's communities of color that are heavily impacted. Um, I I don't recall the number off the top of my head, but it's it's sort of shocking if you look up the disparity there, and it's both a wealth disparity and just a, 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 even a geographic and neighborhood disparity. Poor neighborhoods are heavily uh, impacted. So that that has you know held true in the 1880s, holds true today, and it's uh, it's I don't even know what to say except it's just it's unfortunate that these disparities continue mm-hmm. to exist. Yeah, in that sense, they're very ethnocentric, and and I think COVID even became. Um, I'll use the other word that that you know is is a harsh one, but it 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 has become very xenophobic, you know, and 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 HIV and AIDS that outbreak brought about some of the same xenophobia, the same fears, the blame that took place. These all really were quite a distraction in in our efforts to to find a cure, although the cure and the um, certainly, uh, the antiviral uh, that has been produced was produced so rapidly. It was it was amazing. But I wonder what what is it about these pandemics and epidemics that just become so fearful and and blameworthy that uh, that we, that we just have to almost attack groups of people over over you know we we look for somebody to blame. Yeah. <laughs> suppose the answer is humans are the worst sometimes um, that we have this you know natural tendency to especially when we're scared to to point the finger and blame the other as it were you know we saw a lot of that with you know it, it happened that covid originates in china and there's a whole bunch of anti chinese sentiment um, going on and that's that that is also not new <laughs> we have been the worst across the centuries too um, when, you know, the, the cholera outbreak in the, in the 1870s in New York, it was Irish immigrants who were blamed uh, for both bringing the disease to the United States and then spreading it around uh, the city, where I have this sort of astonishing quote. This is written by a doctor um, in, in trying to explain why cholera is hitting New York. He says, and I quote, 
As a class of people, the Irish are exceedingly dirty, exhausted by drunkenness and crowded together in the worst portions of the city, end quote. Uh, and it goes on to explain that, like, that's why we have this disease. It's the Irish who are bringing it in. Um, and that, that last part of them being crowded together in the worst part of the city was, was true. They you know, were put in these overcrowded, dirty neighborhoods without public infrastructure. And so it's little wonder that those neighborhoods were hit really hard uh, by cholera. And so, you know, one of the earliest um, immigration policies, even, uh, you know, Ellis Island in New York is created to uh, as essentially a medical check for immigrants coming in. Um, they're given a, a medical examination to try to, you know, quote unquote, prevent disease, these, these dirty immigrants from bringing disease in. So we've always had this underlying tension over you know, disease being equated with, with other people, not us. And perhaps we can learn uh, from this too, that um, maybe it, it, uh, there are some things that contribute to this, but they're not exactly uh, what we might um, be so fearful of. And uh, I wonder, you know, as we we look at some of this, perhaps it, it can be calming for our future, and especially, you know, when we look at technology, the the apps that are available now to kind of track the spread of the pandemic, those seem to be very helpful and people seem to be very eager to participate in, um, you know, kind of awareness and helping one another understand, you know, and, and you, you mentioned, you know, kind of painting, you know, a mark on a home where, um, you know, there might be the the disease, and and not to go into that home. These apps are perhaps a widespread version of that. Do you see other technology advancing that now today that will help us in the future? That might give us a little bit of a a sense of of relief, and uh, that maybe it's not quite as bleak when it comes to future epidemics and pandemics. I hope so, and there is some some grounds for hope here. Um, one uh, um. Back to what we started with, the idea that history repeats itself. Yes, we have these new you know, tracking apps. And if you look on any major website of the Washington Post or the New York Times, you can see sort of the heat map of what parts of the country and the world are most affected. And that seems all new and modern and internet driven, but that's from the 1850s. Right? We had created these sort of heat maps to track cholera uh, in the 1850s. This link was made. Um, of where these outbreaks were happening and mapping who's getting sick to sort of find the source of the outbreak, which is highly effective. Um, and, and what comes out of that is the, the public health departments that start with, with creating clean water and waterworks and the idea to keep water and sewage separate, um, you know, indoor plumbing and that. Um, what New York learns in the 1870s and 80s is that sanitation, just keeping the streets clean, uh, has an impact on public health. Disease rates drop after the sanitation department is created. And so what I hope going forward is the fact that, you know, we sort of dealt with the waterborne diseases uh, years ago because they were really widespread and really terrifying. Um, and it's now as a society, it is entirely unacceptable for, for we, water to be dirty, right? We expect to turn on the taps um, and, and have clean, safe water. And the U.S. has, uh, you know, barring a few places like Flint, Michigan, we have some of the safest water uh, in the world. But with COVID, I would hope that this has put a new focus on air quality. Um, 
not just from a disease perspective, but the fact that there are still thousands of people every year in the U.S. that die of air pollution-related causes. We know that there's increasing studies that, you know, kids exposed to air pollution have cognitive development issues and their, um, you know, and, and lifelong health issues. So maybe this will uh, create a new push to have better indoor air quality, especially in places like schools and, and you know, shopping malls even, that maybe... Um, much like you know, life expectancy jumped after we dealt with the disease through vaccination and, and clean water, maybe we can start uh, um, focusing on air quality and pollution, and, and that will have a positive public health impact too. So I, I hope we lean in that direction of paying more attention to mm-hmm. these sorts of issues. And I think, well, final question for you, Dr. Pietropod. I, I think maybe what we've learned too is that these will end, that, that there are... Um, a horrific, uh, you know, death tolls, and and certainly um, these epidemics are um, uh, can be vast, and and they can recur, but they do end, and I think that's that's something that I certainly learned as I was doing my research in in preparation for our conversation today that um, that they will they that either through awareness through better air quality through herd immunity perhaps they will you know come to a conclusion and uh and maybe now we're at the near end of of covid what what do you say about that yes yes um we i would say two things here so on one hand these pandemics do end um either through just burning themselves out after they've infected enough of the population. Um, And, you know, that historically is how things ended when we didn't have the tools to combat these pandemics. You know, it just, you had to let it run its course. But I think on the the positive side, um, and I hope we really lean into this as a society, that we now have the tools to end these pandemics. Uh, The COVID vaccination has been one of the most incredible scientific achievements of the 21st century. Um, And and that the fact that it was so rapid, it's generally uh, effective. Now we have these new antiviral pills that can, uh, even if COVID becomes endemic. So if it sticks around like the flu, the idea that if you get COVID, which could be deadly, if you can just you know, go to your doctor, get a prescription for the pill, and it's cleared up like, uh, you know, like a common infection, that too is an incredible achievement. So I hope that what we learn as a public health perspective here is that we can lean into and invest in more science to cure um, these sorts of things rapidly, because the, this has saved uh, enormous numbers of lives. You know, we'll, of course, never know because it's, you, it's counterfactual, but you know, despite the immense death toll of COVID, the number of lives saved from our scientific advancements uh, is is really really um, help, I mean helpful, really positive, uh, and I think that's uh, something to look forward to. Dr. Alan Pietrobod has been our guest. We've learned a lot, and we'll learn more uh, during your presentation coming up here Wednesday, March thirtieth. We will put links to where our audience can find out more about that presentation at Smithsonian Associates. The title of which is "A History of Epidemics." Our returning guest, Dr. Alan Pietrobon, will be presenting then and has talked to us in the past. We've had a great conversation today. Dr. Pietrobon, thank you for your generous time. I think this is a, a really fantastic 
uh, upcoming presentation, and we appreciate all you're doing to uh, teach us a little bit about this. The recurrence of pandemics are are uh, probably going to come, and uh, what we what we learn here from you today and 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 at your upcoming presentation, I think, will help us uh, kind of prevent them and and treat them and deal with them. But thank you for your time today, Dr. Pietro Bon, and our best to you and your family. Hope all's well. Looking forward to talking to you again. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And I would love to say, like, I hope this is the last time I have to talk about this. But what history shows us is it won't be the last time. So the, as much as we can learn now will help us uh, in the future, too. So, I, yeah, I had a great time chatting with you. Uh, thank you very much. My thanks to Dr. Alan Pietrobon for his expertise and generous time. Dr. Alan Pietrobon will be appearing via Zoom at Smithsonian Associates Wednesday, March 30th. More information is available on our website, notold-better.com. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks, of course, to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please be safe, be well. Let's remember Ukraine. And let's remember to talk about better, the Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody, and I'll see you next week.